the Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 5, chap, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or weeded, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for our Lord and Savior Jesus, I invite you to rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for this Sunday is from St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Hear another parable. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his, his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the, capstone, the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in, in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when he falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned during the welcome, today we're going to focus on 
Paul's letter to the Philippians as we continue a three-week sermon series on, on the theme, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And this week we're going to focus in on the fact that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength even to run and to complete a marathon. Yes, a marathon. And so we focus our attention on the words of chapter 3 in Paul's letter to the Philippians beginning at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we already have attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory, well, it's in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow marathoners. Stuart Briscoe, the one, the longtime pastor at Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, tells the following story in one of his sermons. He said, My daughter can get me to do all kinds of things that I should not do. One time she convinced me that I should run a 10,000-meter race. The race was held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and there were 24,998 runners, plus me. And I was near the end of the pack. Being in Milwaukee, some of the runners, well, they were dressed up as old Milwaukee beer bottles. Some runners were dressed up as cheese slices. Some runners were even pushing someone in a bed. And others were carrying a man on a stretcher, and there was one woman who was pushing a baby buggy. Well, finally, the gun sounded, and the 24,998 runners and I started our advance to the finish line some 10,000 meters away. The runners, well, they were celebrating. The onlookers were cheering. I remember seeing the old Milwaukee beer bottles and cheese slices shaking hands with the crowd. Some runners, well, they ran past me backwards. One quarter of a mile into the race, I saw that the beer bottles and the, and the cheese, cheeses hanging over a, fence, a, gate, a garden fence emptying themselves of their breakfast. After a mile, there was no laughter or chatter. And after the second mile, I could only hear some heavy breathing. And after the third mile, I could hear the flap, flap, flap of feet. 
And after the fourth mile, I could hear the birds singing. And after the fifth mile, I could nod to a few runners who were still around me. And by the sixth mile, I was getting lonely. There were not many runners left. And by the 6.2 mile mark, very few people were dribbling across the finish line. Stuart Briscoe continues or concludes his story by saying, the moral of the story is this. You can get all kinds of people goofing off at the start, but that doesn't count. It's who finishes the race that counts. Well, Paul informs us in our sermon text that we are in a race, and it's not a sprint. It's a marathon for most of us. For many of us, the race begins when we're baptized in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or at other times, the race begins for us when, we, when the Holy Spirit brings us to faith through the power of His Word and we believe in Christ as our Savior. The finish line is the same for all of us. The finish line is our death. And the reward? The reward for completing this marathon is life forever with our Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge? Well, the challenge is that the marathon is grueling. It's hazardous at times. It's even agonizing. Well, we might begin the race with a lot of excitement and confidence and fanfare, but when the going gets tough and we hit that proverbial wall that marathoners talk about, we may be tempted to quit. And sometimes during this marathon, we might find ourselves sidetracked, distracted by other pursuits and goals with eternally devastating results. The Apostle Paul wants everyone who begins this marathon to finish it, to cross the line, to receive eternal life with our Lord. And therefore, in our text, Paul describes for us characteristics of a victorious marathoner. And that's what I want to discuss with you this morning in these next few minutes. Paul reminds us that victorious marathoners, that is, people who finish the race, oh, modern technology. So where was I? Just talking about marathons. Marathoners are always convinced that they will complete the race, especially those who are elite, the Olympic-style type of marathon runner. They're so confident in themselves because of all that they've done in preparation for that race. In many cases, they've put months and years into training. In contrast, in contrast, our confidence is that we will complete the marathon in which we find ourselves not based upon our own strength and abilities, but our confidence rests completely and solely in the Lord. As St. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength even persevering over all the challenges of life, and yes, even completing the marathon. In some verses just preceding our text, St. Paul writes, If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in his flesh, I have more. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. When Paul was a Pharisee, 
prior to his conversion, St. Paul's confidence to complete the marathon was placed in his own natural abilities. It was placed in his regimented training. He thought that because he was a that because he had dedicated arduous hours of studying under elite rabbis, that he would somehow earn his way into into heaven, that he would somehow be able to complete this marathon race in which he found himself. And so he adhered to strict dietary laws, and he rigidly practiced God's commandments, God's commandments, and also even some man-made commandments. And he really thought, he truly believed that he'd be able to run this race with his own strength and power and complete it. But, following his conversion, St. Paul came to discover that that idea was nonsense. That he was doomed to fail. That he would never be able to complete the race by his own power or might. In fact, he confesses, whatever I thought was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul's confidence to persevere and finish the race comes through his Savior's relationship with him. His confidence comes from outside of himself as he relies on God's grace and God's mercy. God's grace and mercy to provide him with with a righteousness that qualifies him even to be in the race. He relies on the grace and mercy of God to sustain him through the marathon so that he may receive the crown of life at the end of the race. Paul says in our text, I press on, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Yes, Christ Jesus took hold of him. And now he hangs on to finish that race. In what or who do you place your confidence to complete this race, this marathon, in which you find yourself? Is it in your own good deeds? Is it in your name? Is it in your wealth? Is it in your poverty? Is it your long-suffering? Oh, I must, I must be rewarded with eternal life because of the pain and the suffering I go through in my life, all in Jesus' name. Is it, is your confidence rest in the fact that you've been a Christian all your life, or most of your life, or that you've borne the name of, say, Lutheran, or whatever denominational leaning you may have? If so, then I can tell you right now, you will not finish the race. You'll be like those beer bottles and those cheese slices. You'll get a little bit into the race, and sooner or later, you'll give up. And even if you get to the end of the line, you won't make it. No one can get to the finish line of this marathon by their own merits. Not at all. You see, Jesus the crucified Christ, the resurrected Lord, the victorious King. He is the source of our confidence to run the race, and he's our certainty that we will persevere in the race. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the spiritual stamina through his word to to run step by step the race that is set before us. And as we do this step by step, 
we know that it's Christ who's given us this power and strength. And we, and we know that we've already attained the prize of eternal life that awaits us at the end of the line, so to speak, when we cross the line. Because Christ has won that prize for us by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. This is what Paul expresses in verses 12 through 14 when he says, Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me. He called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, victorious marathoners, they also stay focused. They stay focused on this single most important goal in life. And the single most important goal of our life is to cross that finish line and receive the crown of everlasting life. Nothing else compares to this goal. Someone has said, a person will accomplish little who allows his mind to be distracted by a multiplicity of objects. We are very fortunate to live in a land of abundance. But with abundance comes distraction. Much distraction. We can become so preoccupied with our material blessings, with our leisurely life and our concerns, that that God is marginalized. That he's not the ultimate goal of our life. Knowing God and, and having his forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life. Instead, we become distracted and preoccupied with other idols, with, with idols, things that displace God. Being worldly-minded people was a temptation for people in Paul's day as well. With tears in his eyes and with sorrow in his heart, Paul observes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. For their mind is set on earthly things. Marathoners running the Lord's race focus on Christ, on that important goal in life. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says when he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Elsewhere, Paul says to the Colossian Christians, he says, we set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And in our text, Paul reminds us that our citizenship, our citizenship is not found here on this earth, whether we're an American, a Canadian, whatever our citizenship might be. But our citizenship, our eternal citizenship, that which really matters, is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. And we await a Savior from heaven who will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Victorious marathoners, well, they also provide self-care during the race. Marathoners, they'll start slowly, I'm told. And then as the race goes on, they pick up their speed towards having a strong finish. During the race, they try to stay relaxed by enjoying the scenery, by maybe singing to themselves, by praying, 
They might even find that they're inspired by the spectators who are cheering them on to go step by step, mile by mile. But most importantly, marathoners, well, they refuel all during the race. They refuel at each first aid station with energy drinks, receiving that much-needed fluid. They receive the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, and then the much-needed sodium. And this keeps them replenished, keeps them from becoming dehydrated so that they can complete the race. Well, during our marathon, it's important that we, too, self-care during the race, that we maintain a good pace in our spiritual life, that we enjoy the scenery around us, that we enjoy the life that God has given to us, and, and we celebrate the fact that he has given us many good gifts And as we go through this marathon, we sing and we pray and we encourage other runners and we're received and encouraged or we receive encouragement from them as well. We're cheered on by the spectators who who encourage us to keep on persevering, to not let go of the goal that we have of reaching eternal life. And we focus on that finish line. But most of all, and most importantly maybe, we refuel regularly, daily with Jesus' refreshing water. Yes, that means that we drink deeply of the word of God, not just one day a week, like on a Sunday morning for 20 minutes or an hour, whatever it might be, but that we read the word of God daily and are refreshed and renewed by it in our personal devotional life. It means that we get into the word of God in a Bible study and we, and we study it in more depth. It means that we make worship a priority in our life and not something that we just do if we have time in our schedule at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, however you want to look at it. And it means that we remember our baptism and rejoice in the fact that there, that's where God sounded the gun, so to speak, and began the marathon for us. And we come to the Lord's Supper and we receive Christ's body and blood so we can be strengthened and nourished, so we have the sustenance that it takes to complete this marathon because it is agonizing. It is filled with toil and trouble. There are dangers along the way. And the way that we're sustained by it is by refueling. Refueling with the word of the Lord. And then finally, victorious marathoners, they forget the past and they look to the future. Paul writes, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. Paul had a lot to forget. And and was good reason that he left it behind. I mean, he had that pharisaical mindset that, that he had lived with for almost all of his life until he was converted to faith in Christ. That, and that mindset being, which I talked about before, that, that his good deeds would qualify him to finish this race, to be received in the eternal glories of heaven. But he also had the guilt of knowing that he had participated in the death of, of Stephen, He knew that he had fought with one of his trusted brothers in Christ, with Barnabas, to the point that they separated for a time, although they were reconciled, it appears. And he struggled with his his flesh daily. He knew that he was an overpowering figure, and that he often polarized people and offended people by the things that he said and the way that he did things. And this all wore on him. And it would have been so easy for him to look back at all of these failings in life, all of these trials and tribulations that he had experienced, and give up. To give up that race, to be defeated by those things. And that's why he says, I forget what is behind and I strain toward the future. I look ahead toward what is ahead. 
And so he focuses his eyes on Christ. He focuses his eyes on the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He focuses on the fact that Christ will come again and that Paul and all believers in Christ will be raised bodily to life everlasting. And that's why he says in our text, but our citizenship is in heaven, people, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Barnes, one of the Bible commentators I often consult when I'm studying texts like this, writes, let's not spend our time on remembering the gloomy past and our own unfaithfulness. We're in thinking of what we have done and thus become puffed up with self-complacency. But let's keep the eye, our eye, steadily on the prize and run the race as though we had just commenced it. On March 6, 1987, Eamon Conglin, the Irish world, world record holder at the 1,500 meters, was running in a qualifying heat in the World Indoor Track Championship in Indianapolis. Two laps into the race, he was tripped, and he fell to the ground. But he got up, and with much effort, he was able to catch the leaders. And with only 20 feet left, or 20 yards left, I mean, in the race, he was in third place, good enough to qualify for the next heat, for the final heat. But Coughlin looked over his shoulder to the inside, and seeing no one, he let up. Meanwhile, a runner on the other side, charging hard past Coughlin, a yard from the finish, thus eliminating him from the finals. Coughlin's great comeback effort was rendered worthless by taking his eyes off the finish line. My friends, it's so tempting for all of us to let up, to look back, and to see all that we've done wrong. Or to look back and see all that we've accomplished and take self-pride in it. It's so easy to look back and look and see all the hurdles that we've overcome and think, hey, I've got this one. I have, I have the victory in the bag. I have nothing to fear. But no. It's essential that we finish well. That we have a good final kick. Because right to our dying day, Satan will do whatever he can to try to frustrate us and cause us to quit the race. And so as we face those final days, as we see that finish line in sight, and who knows when that will be, when we see that finish line in sight, what do we do? We set our mind on Christ. We know that in him our sins, all of them are forgiven. In him we're victorious over death. In him we know that we will cross that finish line and be embraced into his loving arms and will be received into eternal glory. My fellow marathoners, the race, the marathon's begun. We're in the midst of it as I speak. I remind you, though, of the words of Stuart Briscoe. You can get all kinds of people goofing off at the start of the race, and I might add, in the middle of the race and near the end of the race, but that doesn't count. It's who finishes the race that counts. 
When you see the finish line in sight, I pray that St. Paul's words will be your own. Shortly before Paul's death, he wrote these words. He wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, and he's thinking of you and me, not only to me will he reward this, award this, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.